Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Olympian Melinda Harrison, who swam for Team Canada in the 1984 LA Olympics, talks to Bruce about the cancellation of this year's Olympic Games in Tokyo. Harrison is now a professional executive coach, helping pro athletes transition into the business world, and is the author of the book, Personal Next. Live on AM830 KLAA tonight, Bruce Cook wraps up the week with talk that's worth tuning into. Sports, people, politics, life, authentic, real and happening now. Here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by New Directions for Women. We know recovery. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Bruce Cook. It's Angels Radio Sunday night on AM 830. As I say every week, it is my great honor to be here on the radio talking to you all, all over Southern California, from L.A., Orange County to the Inland Empire and beyond, we've got a lot to talk about. I have a wonderful guest on in a few minutes. She's coming to us from Toronto, Canada. Her name is Melinda Harrison, and she was on the show about a month and a half ago, back in April, when a book that she has written uh, debuted. The book is called Personal Next, and I'm going to tell you all about that and reintroduce you to Melinda in just a minute, but I wanted to start and have a little conversation with all of you radio people tonight on Angels Radio on what I've been observing this week in one particular small facet of the Black Lives protests that we're experiencing and how it's relating to sports, and in particular professional sports, and in very particular nature, the world of NFL football. I want to start by talking about Drew Brees, ladies and gentlemen. I feel really bad for Drew Brees, but I also am a little bit ashamed of him and a little bit embarrassed. And I'm not afraid to say it on air, and I think he might appreciate this if he were listening. He came out earlier talking about Black Lives Matter not being appropriate in terms of dealing with kneeling for the flag. As you all know, this started, what, five years ago by Colin Kaepernick who was first to do this. And it has been debated and denounced and praised from every side of the coin, probably most famously by President Donald Trump when this happened originally. His on-camera comments have been uh, viral since, where he basically said, get that, quote, SOB off the field. What has happened, ladies and gentlemen, since then is there has been a transition. There has been an evolution of thought about the practice of kneeling, and you're watching it, you're seeing it all over the country and all over the world, and the core message that is being sent to everyone is that it is meant to bring attention to the fact that there has been tremendous inequality in minority communities, especially in the black community, but also in others, and that so much Brutality has been foist upon people by, by out-of-control law enforcement. Obviously, without going into more detail that you already are so aware of, the focal point has become the death of George Floyd. But back to Drew Brees. 
he was chastised horribly by his fellow players, by people and teammates in other teams all across the country, and by all kinds of black leaders denouncing him. His life, his career, his reputation, everything put on the line by what was really, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but really sort of a mob response and reaction rather than a thoughtful one. He took it all back. He, he took it back. He apologized profusely, practically tearfully, saying he just didn't understand the true meaning of this and that he now got it, quote unquote. He understood it and that it wasn't disrespect for the flag as, it much as, as much as it was bringing attention to the very desperate situation at hand in our country today. All of that is legitimate, but here's what bothers me. And it's what bothered me from the very beginning when Colin Kaepernick did this some five years ago for the first time. Why couldn't these black players who are passionate and genuine about their concerns for their people and their community, why couldn't they have staged a kneel-in either just before the national anthem when they came out onto the field, at the point they got on the field, before the national anthem, do the kneel-in for a minute or five minutes or whatever was organized. But when the flag was raised and the national anthem played, why couldn't they stand up then? Or... Why couldn't they come out on the field and stand up for the national anthem, let it play, and then kneel before the game begins to make their point? Why doesn't anybody say this? Why doesn't anybody talk about it? Why isn't it suggested? Instead, the two have become convoluted, and more division has been created within the country between those that feel disrespect for the flag is so egregious that nothing, nothing can excuse it, and those that say they get it, they understand, it's not necessarily disrespect for the flag. It's just bringing attention to a cause. In any event, Drew Brees is the victim. And I don't know what's going to happen to his career. He may not have one. Or maybe it will blow over. Ladies and gentlemen, that's kind of the theme tonight with my guest Melinda Harrison, who's going to join excuse me, join us in a second. What happens when a career ends? What happens when a sports career that has been so red hot comes to a close? And how does that apply to other careers and other livelihoods when people follow a career trajectory and then it's gone? And what about for the every man who's going through the COVID virus now and has lost his or her job, her livelihood, and doesn't know what's coming next and has to reinvent themselves. And I'm not just talking about hourly workers. I'm talking about business owners. I'm talking about stockbrokers, executives, insurance people, all of whom either been laid off or have no business. It's not just one sector. It's everybody. Anyway, those are my thoughts to start our hour tonight. Let me introduce Melinda. I believe she's on the phone from Toronto. Melinda, are you there? I am. Thank you for having me. Have I scared you away? <laughs> no. Have I scared you away <laughs> with, think... with politics to start the show? No, I mean, I'm Canadian. so And we're experiencing the same thing up here. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it, the movement has started. And there's no question that 
And, you know, I would say, I mean, I'm white and I'm 57. And so, you know, a, um, I come from what would be defined white privilege. And I have learned much over the last 10 days, much. You know, I... I, I well, like what? What have, what have you learned? Tell me one thing. So I was Go ahead. Um, I was talking to my mother-in-law tonight, and we were discussing this. And I said, you know, uh, one of the Texas football coaches said when he makes a U-turn on a street, he worries about getting a ticket. When a black guy makes a U-turn on a street, he worries about a lot more serious consequences. And, you know, I never thought about it in that terms. And, you know, I, I, I can see where, you know, that example brought it home to me. You know, it's funny. And I don't think. I'm sorry for interrupting. But it's funny you brought that one example up because my daughter basically brought up that same same example to me. She has um, a good friend who is white and is married to a black man. And he happens to be a very successful attorney in a big firm. But he drives like a little old lady from Pasadena, and his wife, the white Wife, who's the friend of my daughter, says, I always chastise him about why he's being so careful. What are you driving so slow for? And that's the same response. I don't want to get pulled over. I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't know what's going to happen. So it's real. It is real. It's tragic. It's horrible. And if one thing changes from all this, that's probably going to be one of the aspects that does improve, I hope. But getting back to what I was talking about and what you also brought up about being an athlete as a professional, well, as an amateur athlete, even an Olympian, your whole life as a young woman was devoted to your swimming career. You sacrificed everything. And you worked with people. I'm sure you worked with people of all races, all colors. And it wasn't about race. It was about meritocracy. Who's good at this? Who's great at this? Is that not correct? It is correct. When you were on the playing field, it was about being on the playing field and doing your best. There's no question. In swimming, at the time that I swam, there weren't a lot of African-Americans that were swimming, but there are a lot more now, and it's great to see. Why do you think there weren't back in the 1980s when you were in the uh, 84 Olympics in Los Angeles? I don't know whether it's was I, I actually don't know the answer to that. It, it could be um, having opportunity. Simple as, as that. You just did not have the opportunity to get involved in a sport such as swimming. Well, it might have been as simple as there weren't a lot of backyard pools in the bad parts of town, and there certainly weren't a lot of pools in the schools either where people that might have loved swimming, people of color, may not have had that opportunity, just as simple as that. But you're right. Things have yeah. changed. Let me bring up another issue about coaching um, in the news this week before we get into the substance of our interview together. Another thing that's happened in the news, there have been a lot of voices raised about coaching in pro sports and that opportunities have been limited for non-white coaches, staff members, front-of-the-house people working under ownership and management, and that it has always been restricted basically to white people. At least so, it certainly was in the past, but again, like you've just talked about, swimming has changed. So has that. Today, there are quite a few people of color in 
coaching positions in major league sports and in front office positions. There are even people of color uh, in ownership positions or investment ownership positions here in Los Angeles. A prime example would be the the Dodgers, for example, um, Magic Johnson, for one. Anyway, my point is this. Again, back to the meritocracy idea. The voices of change are chanting for uh, black people to have more chances and openings in the coaching and executive staff range. And some are saying there should be an instituted law or privilege, not privilege, or practice, rather, that for every job that comes up in those areas, there should be at least two people of color considered for that job in addition to whomever else is being considered. What do you think about that? Well, it's it's a good it's an interesting point. I think that we we have to provide openings for individuals to grow and develop into very strong leadership roles. And you know, you don't just go to the top in anything. So in sports, you start in little league and you wait, work your way up to if you're good enough the major leagues and. So those opportunities need to be there, and I think that there probably has been quite a bit of bias on not having those opportunities there for um, African Americans or even women for that for that point. Women um, also, yep, very so true. So we're not, you know, I'm not singling out that that um, that is the right way to do it because I'm not informed enough on that, but I do believe that. We need to make sure that opportunities are there, education is there, promotions are available, and if qualified, they should be in the running for it. Well, whoever they is, right? Whether, who, yeah. Yeah, I get it, but let me follow that up with what you said. If qualified, don't you think? Don't you think that team ownership, which, granted, is predominantly white male billionaires, don't you think they want the most qualified person for that job, especially a coaching job on a major team? They, I don't think they care if the person is from Mars. They want to win. They want the best coach possible because not only is their reputation and their financial life on the line, if they hire someone just based on doing the right thing to balance the scale of equality between races – and they take a shortcut for that, rather than hiring the best person for the job, all the team members are going to suffer. All their salaries are going to suffer. All the fans are going to suffer. I don't know. I just am a I real... Ch I challenge on that a little bit. I Go say, ahead. Tell me you know, why. Tell me why. Well, I, I just feel that uh, there are probably segments of people that could be the best for the job but haven't necessarily had the opportunity to to uh, be considered and so um well you know, that's we'll, you're we'll probably see. right you're probably right but i think that's in the past yeah. i really do i, I hope so well I you know so because i think you know the the you know and, and speaking about african americans or speaking about you know women i have learned you know you learn so much from people that are not like you and if you are the type of person like I am that likes to understand other perspectives, then, 
you might find a new winning formula through getting a different perspective. Well, it's a it's a very very strong point, and it certainly is worthy of a lot of consideration, and that's why we're talking on radio tonight. Melinda, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, I'm going to introduce you again properly, and we're going to delve into who you are and what you're all about, more so than we're even doing now. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook, and this is Angels Radio Sunday Night Live, AMA 30 KLAA. I will be right back. Angels Radio, AMA 30. If the woman you love, your mother, wife, daughter, sister, partner, or friend is on a downward spiral from substance abuse and doesn't know where to turn, let us help. New Directions for Women, a Costa Mesa-based addiction treatment facility, has the answer. Since 1977, we have helped over 5,000 women change their lives, returning them to sober, healthy living, restoring love, hope, and dignity to them and their families. Don't wait another day. The woman you love needs your help now. Call us at 888-786-0509 or visit us at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. Again, 888-786-0509. New Directions for Women. We know recovery. Back to work at that J-O-B, the one you realized isn't for you? Well, that's if you're lucky, right? Make your move. You can start a new life as an IT pro in as little as four months from the comfort of your own home, even if you have zero computer experience. Take control of your future now. Go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. Live online classes meet just twice a week. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. For the ones we trust to always be there. For the ones caring for others. For the ones who keep things going, no matter where they are. In extraordinary times, extraordinary people step up. Like the ones standing guard and standing on the front lines. And the ones who are staying apart while still working together. With your efforts, we will get through this. We're grateful for all you do. Visit Granger.com for resources that can help as you create your recovery plan. Granger for the ones who get it done. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this very well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and their families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women has helped addicted women recover in a nationally recognized treatment facility in Costa Mesa. Their doors are wide open. It just takes the first step. Call New Directions for Women. The number is 888-786-0509. Again, 888-786-0509. You can also visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. New Directions for Women. They know recovery. Bruce Cook wants to hear from you. Now back to your host, Bruce Cook. Good evening. Good Sunday evening, everybody. It's Bruce Cook. It's Angels Radio Live Sunday night, AM 830. 
The number to call, 714-2-830-830. My guest, Melinda Harrison, and I would love to hear from you if we touch a nerve in our conversation over the next 45 minutes at our time together. Call anytime. Bring up anything you like. We want to hear from you. At any rate, let me introduce Melinda again if you're just tuning in. Melinda Harrison, former Olympian swimmer. She is coming live tonight from Toronto, Canada, her hometown. She was a member of the Olympics in the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. She wrote a book, and it's entitled Personal Next, What We Can Learn from Elite Athletes Navigating Career Transition. We're going to get into that in a minute, but let me tell you a little bit more about Melinda's background. Following her career as an athlete and a swimmer, uh, for which she devoted most of her youth, um, Melinda became a life coach and counselor, and uh, she has a professional practice that is uh, far-reaching for not only athletes, but people of all professions in her native Canada and beyond. Her title is Professional Level Executive Coach, and she'll tell you a little bit more about that. But uh, we've got a lot to talk about in terms of what's happening in pro sports right now and all of the changes and all of the mystery of when it's going to come back and if it's going to come back and how it's going to come back and how it's going to impact the lives of everybody involved, from the stars on the field to the workers in the stands. With that, I say Welcome back, Melinda. Thank you for joining us again tonight. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. It's it's great. I loved having you on a month ago. You had so much to offer, and we got more to say. Can I start with the fact that we're sort of in turmoil about the season's beginning? There's news this week that the NBA is probably going to begin doing non, non-audience non uh, Uh, non-fan attended games on a limited basis in Orlando, Florida at Disney World. The MLB is still kind of crazed. They're not sure what to do. What do you think about all this? Is it, is it going to come back in the same sort of way? Is it, are we going to have to adapt to something new and how is it going to impact everybody involved from your point of view and what you're seeing? So it's not going to come back as we know right now. That's for sure. Um, you know, I read in the paper about, you know, the, the programs that are bringing their college football pay, players back and that there were some significant infections. And so now they're worried about whether they should be back on campus or not. I think, you know, it's, it's what we don't know, we don't know. And therefore, we can only react or respond the way that we know best. And everybody wants sports back. It's, it's part of America. It's part of Canada. It's part of North America. And, you know, we live in dire sports. And we love being in the arenas and cheering for those athletes and watching them put on a physical and mental show like, like almost no other profession. And we're not going to be able to be in the arena, certainly not at first. Um, And so you're, you know, when we look at this issue, we need to look at this issue from an athletic point of view. How do the athletes feel about it? And also from a fan point of view. And then, of course, all the young kids out there that are aspiring to be athletes, you know, they're also affected 
by this. And and so it's it's a complicated issue. I know that for the book Personal Next, you interviewed some 100 pro athletes from all kinds of sports. And we're going to get into that in a second. And that's about transition of their lives into new careers. But have you had a chance to talk to any current athletes uh, recently about what's going on and how they feel about the possibility of returning to their sport without fans? So I haven't talked to any of the professional athletes. I've talked to lots of amateur athletes and, you know, in relationship to um, potentially getting scholarships to potentially going, being named to the Olympic team um, and have done some work around that. And, you know, everybody's nervous. Um, I would imagine that the professional athletes, they're paid to um, be professionals. And so they're going to go out there and when they're on the court in basketball, for example, they're going to give it their all. And, you know, we saw this in the Michael Jordan documentary about when he was in Los Angeles playing on that makeshift court and there were no fans watching that. They, you know, they gave it their all. They want to win. They're paid to win. Um, you know, and so my feeling to start with is the professional athletes are going to be so ready to get back into the basketball court um, that they're going to give it their all. And because it's a shrunk down number of teams, there's meaning to this. It, it's not a meaningless pursuit. Um, and so they'll be, they'll be there because they're professional. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard for some of them, but I think they'll show up as professionals. What does your crystal ball say about baseball? Wow. Before I came on here, I thought, oh, I better double check what you're saying about (laughs) baseball (laughs) because I hadn't read anything on that today. You know, it's, it's, um, I don't know. Like it's, they're at a standoff right now, right? That's correct. Yeah, that is correct. They're trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure it out. And I think, again, it's not that players don't want to play. They just want to make sure the environment is probably the right environment to play in. I guess the follow-up question, Melinda, which sort of ties into why you're talking to us tonight, if there is no baseball season and – our players lose a season or a year of their prime career time. Mm-hmm. How is that going to affect them? It will for some of them. It may be the end of their career. Remember that our athletes have been focused on accomplishing their goals from an incredibly young age. And their life has been built around comparative analysis. And you're comparing to past seasons, you're comparing to other people, you're comparing to longevity of your career. And some of that will go away for some of the players. And that becomes a loss of that dream that they've had from this very, very young age. And there will be anger. I still know swimmers from 1980 when we boycotted the the Moscow game that are still angry about that boycott. Like, that's 40 years later. They still hold that anger because they lost that dream. Go into that that a little bit more. So when we boycotted, um, 
the 80 Olympics. It was because of the invasion into Afghanistan. And Jimmy Carter, I believe, was president. And, you know, it was an unacceptable um, political move. And so he countered with saying, well, we're not going to the Russian games. And that was April, I believe, of 1980. So it was three or four months before the 80 games. So anybody that was at the height of their career at that particular time um, didn't go. And that was, you know, for many athletes, that was the end of their swimming career. They could not hold on. A new crop was rising for 1984. And either they didn't qualify or if they did qualify, they didn't perform. Um, And so there was there was great anger that that opportunity was taken away. So it's similar, but it's different because this is a, this is a medical op, you know, this is a medical reason, not a political reason. Good point. Good um, point. But it's still from an, from a individualistic point of view, it's my work. It's gone. Like what I've dedicated my life to is now over, not, yeah, it's over. It's over. More dramatic in talking about Olympics because obviously it's every four years. Hopefully we're talking about one season here for professional baseball. Um, going back to baseball, I, f- I feel badly for the younger players just coming up who are just getting their chance maybe this season or maybe last season and they're just starting to feel their, their way into a professional career. And this could really sidetrack a lot of them. It could. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it depends on how, you know, I talk a lot about in the book about the difference between reaction and response, responding. And if the up and coming athlete is responding to the, to the crisis and to their situation in a way that, that will serve their long-term goals, then they'll probably be okay. But if they're reacting, i.e., the, for example, the emotional um, triggers, and they're doing, they're not training, they're engaging in uh, behavior that is not becoming of an athlete, a high-end athlete. Um, if they're playing video games in their basement nonstop and and not doing the other things that they're supposed to be doing, then it it can be that lost because they've lost their structure and so they had to find their structure within themselves instead of it being driven by the organization excellent point i got a tough question for you though before we go to our half hour break many people have always asserted that sports should be apolitical can it be in this environment and do you think it is wise for star athletes to speak out publicly about their feelings at this time? You know, I was asked a question um, in an article I'm writing on who I would, if I thought of an athlete that I would love to sit down and have lunch with, who would that athlete be? And I picked LeBron James. And not because I love basketball any more than I like football or baseball or any of the other, you know, sports or the um, Olympic sports. It's because he fights like a champion 
but gives like a human. His his charity work is so unbelievable, um, and the difference he's making in um, young people's lives, and specifically the black, the black community, is is just so fantastic. He will shift people's opportunities, and yet when he's on that court, he he is such a you know he is out there being a champion. Um, you know, doing what he knows how to do, but never giving up. And so my answer to your question is probably a little circumvent to the actual question. It's that I believe athletes have an opportunity, high-end athletes, um, elite athletes have an opportunity to have a voice. And they're, they are given this chance to make a difference in other people's lives. And so I really admire that difference. Um, for some, it may be political. For others, it may be helping helping the youth of today. It shows up in all different ways, but it's not my right to judge how people decide to give back to their to their environment. I just admire that they do give back. Great answer, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Melinda. We're going to take our break, and when we come back, we're going to continue. We have a lot more to talk about. I'm Bruce Cook. It's Sunday Night Live on Angels Radio, AM 830. Remember, you can call us, 714-2-830-830. That's a good topic that we just ended the half hour with. Do you think athletes should be out there expressing their opinions as we just discussed with Melinda? Angels Radio. AM 830. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this too well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women have helped addicted women recover at our nationally recognized addiction treatment center in Costa Mesa. Our door is wide open. Take the first step. Call us at 888-786-0509 or visit us at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. Again, 888-786-0509. New Directions for Women. We know recovery. At Secret, we see you killing it, and you don't have time to sweat the small stuff. With Secret Outlast, you get 48 hours of best-in-class odor and wetness protection. So before you take out that loan to start your own business, I got this. Head to that rally, or take your bike for a ride. Start your day with Secret Outlast Antiperspirant. The only thing the world will see is your strength. Secret Antiperspirant. All strength, no sweat. I've always wanted to learn another language, so I decided to give Babbel a try, and I really like the teaching method of the app. I started with the beginner lesson on Babbel, and soon you're putting words into a conversation. Each lesson takes about 10 to 15 minutes, and they're all really different, which keeps things interesting. I can't wait to use my Spanish skills in real life. Dos cervezas, por favor. (laughs) Now try Babbel free. Just go to Babbel.com or download the Babbel app. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com.
If the woman you love, your mom, wife, daughter, sister, partner, or friend is on a downward spiral from substance abuse and doesn't know where to turn, New Directions for Women can help. It's a Costa Mesa-based addiction treatment facility that has the answer. Since 1977, New Directions for Women has helped more than 5,000 women change their lives, returning them to sobriety, healthy living, restoring love and hope, and providing dignity for them and for their families. Don't waste another day. The woman you love needs your help now. Call New Directions. The number is 888-786-0509. Once again, call 888-786-0509 or visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. That's New Directions for Women. They know recovery. To talk to Bruce Cook, pick up the phone and dial 714-2830-830. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Bruce Cook, Sunday Night Live, Angels Radio, AM 830. I'm on tonight, this hour, with Melinda Harrison from Toronto, Canada, former Olympian, 1984, Los Angeles, swimmer. We're talking sports. We're also talking lives in sports and how things are changing and we're talking about her book, Personal Next, What Happens When a Career Ends. Melinda, I want to read the excerpt uh, from your book at the start of Chapter 9, which is entitled All In. And here it goes. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. It's a really good uh, anecdote. Quote, my grandfather gave me $1 for every goal I scored. That made me happy because I love scoring goals. So I felt like... I was going to I was going to be rich and he gave me a dollar 50 for every assist. A dollar 50 for every assist. He helped me realize that being on a team means that other people are involved and that it would be more rewarding for me to enhance or empower other people. That has stuck with me for 45 years. Close quote. Quote is from Brandy Chastain, soccer player. Melinda, speak to that. Well, I'm smiling right now. You know, my, my interview with Brandy was, was just so wonderful. And it really started to inform me about the practice. I have these nine practices about this practice of being tuned in to other people and how important it is in sport that it's not all about you. It's about everyone around you. Um, and so, you know, Brandy was a big influence on, on thinking about it when I was um, coding her interview and thinking, like, what is really special about, about what she's saying? And it, it's that the athlete is one person on a team, even if it's an individual sport. You're one person on the U.S. team or one person on the Canadian team. You represent so much more than just your athletic ability. You know, that really even applies to the big stars. You mentioned LeBron James before we went to break. He may be a big star, but he obviously cares a lot about everybody else on that team. And it shows in every one of his performances. Talk about some of the other points. Let me, let me name some of them and then have you go into it. What do you, what do you mean by 
athletic autopilot. What is that? So athlete autopilot is really about the system that pulls the athlete along from that very young age. So I think about when I, when I started swimming, I, I um, had X amount of practices that I had to go to. I had to go to the weight room. I had to, at that time, we weighed in morning and night. You know, we had to get our physical weight done every day. We, um, you know, we were told to eat certain types of food. And so you naturally just bring that into the habit of your life. It's just you don't even think about it. You, when the alarm goes off at 530, you might go, ugh, but you get up because you know that's just part of the deal you made. And so what happens is the athlete is pulled along by this system and then all of a sudden that system collapses when you move away from sport. And you really haven't learned to make significant choices in your life on what you would like to do day in and day out or what you want to eat. And I'm reminded of a story by uh, Craig Beardsley, who um, is also in this book, uh, another great American swimmer. And he said, you know, when I was done, I thought I was doing a great job but I was getting up at 2 a.m. in the morning and eating Haagen-Dazs ice cream because it was the first time in my life I could eat at 2 a.m. in the morning and not worry that I had to be at the pool at 5.30. And so that's a good example of how you can go off the rails so quickly when that system collapses around you. Extrapolate how that translates into people of non-athletic professions who have had a major career uh, roadblock or change and have to start over in something else. We all have our programs that we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And it does translate. And that's, you know, if you're a high performer and you're all in as chapter, as chapter two talks about, you're so dedicated to that profession, whatever the profession is. And all of a sudden that ends. So too does so much so many other things you know you walk into if you're in an office tower you walk in and you wave to you know the security guard and then you wave to the receptionist and then you might um, have a chat by the coffee by the coffee machine with somebody all of that is gone you know those those tables that you might get at a restaurant are all everything disappears and so the systems of your life collapse and you too will go through that messy middle period. As a professional uh, counselor, how do you counsel a client that goes through this? What kind of, what was the first step? Well, I think it, you know, I think the one it depends on the situation, but if I were to give a broad overview, I would say understand that you're not alone. This is a natural process that everybody who has committed to something of meaning will experience. You might have a deep experience of it and it, it may create great struggles or you might have a, a less, a more shallow experience. And you, you know, in some transitions you breathe, you can breathe through it. But if you don't understand and cope with the transition, it will come back to affect how you behave in your future. You know, there are many stories that the public is aware of, and we hear them from time to time, probably more frequently than not, of people that have reached enormous heights, not just in sports, but primarily in sports, entertainment, music, 
those categories that fall off that cliff at that point and they no longer have the glory and the fame and the money and their lives are ruined. How do you protect mm -hmm. yourself from that? And in sports in particular, you know, there are stories about great players who turn to drugs and all kinds of problems. Some of them end up broke and in jail. Mm -hmm. I mean... So, you know, one of the questions I asked in the interviews is, um, I, I phrased it in two ways. The first one was, how do you define success? Which I got, you know, very concrete answers. And then the second question was, well, how do you define your self-worth? And in many cases, I got dead silence. Why do, why do you think? Because I think that their success has been based on on um, other people's definition of that success. Okay. And when asked what their self-worth was, they had to really step back and think, well, what actually is my self-worth made up of? Is it made up on someone else's approval? Is it made on what, on what I do every day? Or is it made up on the values I have and the gifts that I give back to the world. And, mo you know, most of my interviewees came around to answering the question. It just stumped them for a couple of minutes. So what I would say is, you know, start to start to think about, well, what is your self-worth made up of? And um, dig into that question a little bit. It's not the same as success always. Correct. Does this tie into your chapter on ex uh exercising demons in any way exercising demons <laughs> yes it does i mean we we all have demons and again it's it's a natural part of of um experiencing life and in many cases aren't we lucky to have some demons because they can drive us to achieve what about um, you what were your demons when you were an olympic swimmer so, uh, you know, I had some great ones. I mean, I was the third of four children, and my um, my sister was 10 months old, slightly less than 10 months older. So my parents had kids very quickly. And, you know, I mean, that's probably what drove me into swimming was this idea that, you know, I, I wasn't hurt. I wasn't, you know, I was kind of, I wasn't the smartest and I wasn't the most musically talented. So when I found swimming, I, I thought, I can do this. I can show them. And, you know, in many cases, that probably drove a lot of me trying to, to prove myself. Um, and so that definitely was a demon. Another one would be, you know, as I call it in the book, I hope it's okay to say on radio, it's called the itty-bitty shitty committee. <laughs> that voice in your head that says, well, maybe I'm not quite good enough. Maybe I don't deserve this. And, the sensors are running you know, in I, here. The sensors are coming. Oh, Go ahead. I'm uh -oh. being ridiculous. Go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, it's a great phrase because it's that person sitting on your shoulder telling you that you can't do something. And, you know, when you're competing at the best in the world, that voice comes up sometimes. Um, and it can really ruin a performance. So it's learning how to deal with with that. And I deal with, you know, I, I love golf. I'm a six handicap. 
you know, I'm a pretty good golfer, and, um, you know, it shows up on the golf course all the time for me. Well, can I tell you, Melinda, that it shows up in everybody's lives, no matter what they are, who they are, what they're doing, how successful or not, probably maybe even every single day at some point. On that, let's take our break. We'll be right back. A lot more to talk about. I'm Bruce Cook, live Angels Radio Saturday, Sunday night, rather, with Melinda Harrison. Stay with me. Angels Radio. AM 830. If the woman you love, your mother, wife, daughter, sister, partner, or friend is on a downward spiral from substance abuse and doesn't know where to turn, let us help. New Directions for Women, a Costa Mesa-based addiction treatment facility, has the answer. Since 1977, we have helped over 5,000 women change their lives, returning them to sober, healthy living, restoring love, hope, and dignity to them and their families. Don't wait another day. The woman you love needs your help now. Call us at 888-786-0509 or visit us at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. Again, 888-786-0509. New Directions for Women. We know recovery. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get your color your way. We've made it easier than ever to try and buy color. Preview paint colors in your home with our ColorSnap app. Then visit SWColorChips.com to have color chips delivered to your door for free. And when you're ready to paint, buy online or call your local Sherwin-Williams store for curbside pickup and get everything you need without leaving your car. At Walgreens, we know summer may look a little different this year. That's why we've made it easier to enjoy the moments you do make with new ways to shop. With shop online and pick up in our drive-thru, or quick same-day delivery on select items with Postmates, you can keep summer going. This week, find great deals like select varieties of nice brand nuts for $3.99 and all 12-pack soda by two get one free. Walgreens. Offers valid with card while supplies last. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See Walgreens.com for details. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this very well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and their families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women has helped addicted women recover in a nationally recognized treatment facility in Costa Mesa. Their doors are wide open it just takes the first step. Call New Directions for Women. The number is 888-786-0509. Again, 888-786-0509. You can also visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. New Directions for Women. They know recovery. Bruce Cook wants to hear from you. Now back to your host, Bruce Cook. I'm back, ladies and gentlemen. Bruce Cook here, Angels Radio, live Sunday night. Melinda, I want to read another statement from one of your fellow swimmers in your book. Jill Sterkell writes, quote, Open your eyes 
and find another dream. There are millions of them out there, close quote. In our final segment tonight together, I want you to address the chapter in your book that talks about gut checking. In other words, for somebody who's reaching the end of the line in their career, be it an athlete or not, facing the reality of that, how do you know that the end is coming? And how do you gracefully transition into something else and, quote, as Jill said, find another dream. There are millions of them out there. For a lot of us, that's really hard to do. It is really hard. And, um, you know, it's not always, it's usually not very graceful. There are, there are very few athletes that go out on their own terms at the top. Um, and so a gut check is that moment where you're saying, should I keep going or should I not? And I had a gut check in 1982. Um, I was trying to qualify for the Commonwealth Games, and I missed that by hundreds of a second, the qualification. And they were in Australia, and I really wanted to go to Australia. Uh, I think primarily to compete, but also all my friends were going, and the competition was in September, so I get to take the semester off from the University of Michigan and travel Australia and have fun for two or three months. Um, I think my priorities were probably in the wrong place. And so as I was driving home uh, from Edmonton, Alberta, to uh, where my parents lived in London, Ontario, I had a serious gut check. Could I keep going or could I, should I stop? Should I, you know, do I really want to keep going to 1984? And that, you know, 32-hour drive, I really had to ask some serious questions. And that's what really propelled me to go on to commit to go back all in for trying to qualify for the Olympic Games. And, you know, I made a decision on that drive that if I was going to keep going, I was going to do everything I could in my power to, to put myself in the running. In other cases, in gut checks, it could be an injury. It could be somebody that is, you know, got injured on the field or, or um, injured doing something else off the field. And all of a sudden, their, their career is into rehab and then potentially over. So a gut check is a really challenging time because your, your dreams, again, those things that you want to that you have thought about for so long, you start to question them instead of just believe that they're possible. We don't have too much time left, but I have to ask you to describe in a minute or less making it to the 1984 Olympics and what that experience was like for you and how you look back on it in terms of making that decision to move ahead. Thank you for that. Yes, um, you know, when I stood up to race at the Olympic trials, I had this inner belief that I knew I had done everything. And I actually can remember myself, you know, saying to myself, this is it. You've done everything. You've given it your all. Don't worry about the end result. Just go do what you know how to do. And standing there representing Canada at the Olympics was just it was a, it was an incredible experience. I had the best of memories. I didn't compete very well at the Olympics. I think nerves got the better of me, not think I know. But to be with those athletes in the opening ceremonies and the closing ceremonies and participate 
Um, and again, I, you know, as we said, as I said the last time we talked, I, I think of myself as North American because I had all of my high school and university in the States. I have all three of my kids that live in the States um, now. And so, you know, I, I'm just, I just think anybody who has the opportunity to represent their country, it's just such an incredible honor. Let me say before we finish that I was there with you at the Olympics in 1984. I was one of the television producers for the network covering you and everything else, and it was an amazing, amazing experience. Tell us how we can buy the book Personal Next. Personal Next, we go to Amazon. Where do we go? How do we get it? And anything you want to do to plug it. Yeah, sure. So it's available at Barnes and Noble or Amazon in the U.S. or or your local uh, book retailer. You can go on and just ask them, and they can order it for you. Um, it was really written to put words to that process of how do you reach a personal best, what happens after that's over, and um, give the pathway to say you've done this before you can do it again so it, it really is a motivational book but with hard facts and hard realities um, that we all need to be aware of um, your listeners can also follow me on instagram at melinda harrison or twitter at um, finding finding your next or sign up for my weekly coaching tip at melindaharrison.com give us your weekly coaching tip this week my weekly coaching tip, oh my goodness, I can't remember it. Well, then Just give it the top of my head. Then give us a good coaching tip to send us off. We've got a minute to go. Send us off with something to inspire us. Well, I often write about, um, you know, in the moment, what choice can you make? And so um, one of the last two or three was around in that moment, how can you pause and make a choice to help you to find the best result? And I think that's just such an appropriate tip for right now in the situations we're finding ourselves in. You know, we can't speak too quickly because we don't know everything. We have to pause and think, well, what is it that I don't know? What biases are coming in? And in that pause, that's the power to really try and listen to other people's perspective. You know, I think that's uh, an incredibly wonderful way to end our hour together because if everybody in everything that's going on right now, from the COVID-19 to the Black Lives Matter to all the, the strife and stress that we are dealing with, just took a moment to pause and try and listen and not react so fast and find some find some intelligent thing to say rather than blab how much better off could we all be melinda harrison thank you for your hour of time tonight ladies and gentlemen her book is personal next i hope you check it out on one of your favorite sites like amazon and i thank you melinda for being on with me again i hope you'll come back again sometime it's always a delight to talk. You challenge my mind to think and be articulate. Thank you for having me. And good night, ladies and gentlemen. Good night, Angels Radio audience. We'll be back next Sunday. You've been listening to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear the Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. <laughs>